This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to be in two passages this morning, Matthew 24, and then we'll go back to the last part of the Bible, Revelations 3. I'm going to give you a little eschatology, and some of you said, what is that? A little bit of end time stuff. Kind of a little wake up. So as you're turning to Matthew 24, I'm going to put some thoughts in here real quick. You know that anytime that you see a weather warning, there's storms and stuff they're about. Do you heed those warnings? And I know there's people around the world that, that heed warnings. You see people that will begin to board up their windows. They'll play sandbags. This part of the world, we move our vehicles inside if we can, and then we even have shelters. But do I heed the warning? So for me to heed the warning, it's a word called preparation. How how well are you prepared for a storm? Well, today you're going to see this in the Bible. How, How well are you prepared for the things that are coming before us and Every bit of it has to come to the Lord Jesus through Jesus. So we begin in in Matthew 24, verse 3. Now as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now they, they ask him really two questions. When and what? When you're going to come back and what will be some of the signs? And you'll note in here real quick that Jesus doesn't look at him and say, what makes you think I'm coming back, suckers? What, what, what makes you think that I'm ever... What? So there's somewhere on the way that his disciples had heard him say several times, I'm going to leave and I'm going to depart and I'm going to come back. So they literally took it to heart. We need to take it to heart. So to answer their question, now we begin on on verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. His very first response is take heed, pay attention that no one deceives you misleads you, leads you astray, distracts you with the philosophies of men, with human opinions. So he gives us great warning here immediately. The very, don't be deceived. So you know what I believe he's telling? This is going to be a, a, not just a possibility, but a high possibility. Verse 5, for many, not a few, But many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. So he gives many twice. Many will come saying, I'm the Christ. I'm the way to heaven. But we know there's only one way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. The only way to the Father is through the Son. There's not a bunch of ways. Getting to heaven is not multiple choice. Getting to heaven is singular. It's only Jesus. But evidently, there's going to come times when people are going to say, all you got to do is believe Muhammad. All you got to do is believe in Harry Krishna, Buddha. That's not going to get you. 
to heaven. And when you look at what he said, he said many would be deceived. Many. Strong warnings here. Verse number six. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. We have that going on right now. I mean, the deal with the Ukraine and, and Russia and, and rumors of war. I mean, it's not uncommon to go home right now and hear China's going to invade Taiwan. And then you hear about that crazy guy in North Korea, all his little missile tricks. So there's all kinds of rumors, but many people would say, well, as long as I've been alive, I've seen wars and I've seen rumors. Is that true? Yeah. We're, we're seeing these things take place, but he ends in, in verse six and he says, see that you're not troubled for all these things must, not might, but must come to pass. But Jesus said, the end's not yet. Not yet. Verse seven, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be racial wars, ethnic wars, border wars. There will be famines, pestilence, some say for pestilence, pandemics, and earthquakes in various places. Some people will call these natural calamities. That's a good word because they're not acts of God because God is not into killing, stealing, and destroying. That's the devil. But it's interesting, these things that he's talking about. So you're going to begin to see these increase. Just warnings. Verse 8. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. They are the beginning of labor pains, which will be characterized right here by worldwide grief and agony. Not if, but it's going to begin to happen on a more Strenuous basis, I believe. It's going to begin to come at us. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. He's talking about these severe trials. And then the next one he says, and many will be offended. And they will betray one another and they will hate one another. More trials. So he gives us warnings here. And I believe every one of these warnings are a wake-up call to every one of us. Just wake up. Verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And, and I don't know if you've caught this. But sometime go back and read every bit of that. And find out how many times Jesus uses the word many. And he uses the word many false prophets. And then he says, many will deceive you. Well, he started with that in verse four and verse five. And again, he highlights it again. That there's going to be false prophets. You know what one translation says? There are going to be a lot of lying preachers. I didn't take offense of that. You know, the key to all that is just preach the Bible. Just tell people the truth. And so you're going to get a pretty good dose of the truth today. But he warns right here, there's going to be a, a lot of lying and deceiving going on. 
and just heed this. And so again, that's why it's so important that we stay with the Bible. It's so important that you stay with the Bible. Don't get on on mankind's human philosophies. Stay, stay with the word of God. Endure sound doctrine. I believe this is what he's talking about. So literally right here in verse 11, you know what Jesus is telling? Don't fall for the counterfeit. Because it's going to be there. Verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound. The, the word lawless has the meaning of no form of law. Things will not be regulated. Things will not be restrained. The, the flagrant defiance of the word of God. It's happening. And, and he warned right here, it's going to abound. There will be incredible increase. Interesting warnings from the Lord Jesus. And he goes on to say, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. People that once had a passion for love, burned with love, it'll go cold. But he who endures till the end shall be saved. Now listen to the word or the definition of the word endured. To hold one's ground in conflict. To bear up against adversity. To hold up under stress. Stand firm. Persevere under pressure. You have need of endurance. Hebrews 12 one says run this race with endurance. I don't know if you've ever prayed or asked God to grace you with endurance. But maybe we ought to start asking I need some endurance. I want to run this race for you, Lord. I want to get to the finish line. Verse 14. And this gospel, there's not any other gospel, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And it's almost like Jesus looks in the camera and says, and that's all, folks. And when that day comes... I hope we're prepared. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Just a warning here. And I believe the Lord Jesus, he's, he's wanting to get us to realize, man, I, I can never put my guard down. You know, there's many people within our society that we, we claim we're Christians. Dickerson Research did a, a research in 2014, and in 2014 it said that one out of every 10 Americans will say they're Christians. But within 30 years of that, that number will go to one into 25 will actually be Christians. They'll say they're Christians. I believe we're seeing that right now. Now, there's a question off of that. Are you a Christian just in name? So turn with me back to the book of Revelations, chapter number three. Revelations, chapter three. And you know, I, I, can't, I can't ignore God's timeless answers through the Bible. And when we come to church, 
The sign of a healthy church isn't in numbers. It's not how many people are here. It's not a club feel. When we come to church, it's not about this great show or this great performance. It's not about watering down the word of God to make everybody feel good about themselves. It all comes down to one word, appetite. What are you hungry for? What am I hungry for? So we get to the book of Revelations, chapter 3. And if we had time, you know, you would look at it all in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Jesus wrote letters to seven different churches. I believe these are ongoing application for the church today. But when I begin to look at his letters to the churches, he never said one time, the problem was a secular society. He never said the problem was what was a world that doesn't believe in Jesus. He never said the problem was or wasn't who's in the White House. In every one of those letters to the church, he puts his finger on the church. The church is the issue. Now, when I talk about the church, the church is people, that's us. And so this, this passage I believe I'm going to read this morning is a wake up to us as the church. So be, begin with me in Revelations 3 verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Now, when you see the, the word Laodicea, it literally means a, a carnal or a church of the flesh that viewed more in the opinions of mankind, human philosophies and human judgments is where the church of Laodicea ha had become huge in. And I began to look at this and I, I had the thought, Has our identity become more in the name of our church than the name of Jesus? Has our identity become more in our denomination than the name of Jesus? Well, I'm charismatic. I'm Pentecostal. I'm Baptist. If you ask people, tell me about, you know, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm Catholic. I'm but we don't identify with Jesus. And here's a good one for you. Has our identity become more in our pastor than in Jesus? Huh. Where's that in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, some say I'm of a Paul and some say I'm of Apollos. And, and I don't knock other pastors, but in America... Many times people say, well, I, I go to Gateway Church. I go to Elevation Church. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But is my identity in a church is my identity in Jesus. And then we get over on these pastors and we're like, well, I, 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 I can only talk about Robert Morris. Well, Robert Morris is a great pastor, but he's not my identity. He's just a man. And so I begin to look at all these things and I'm thinking, is this what's going on with this? Do we look more to men? Do we look more to names than we do Jesus? 
And he goes on and says in verse 14, these things says the amen. And when you read that, the amen, he's talking about the God of truth. The guarantee of of all God's promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20, it literally says this, that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. So he's talking about God. And then he goes on to say, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. You know who that is? That's Jesus. He's the faithful and the true witness. So right here immediately he deals with, come on, come on, get your, get your eyes on Father God. Get your eyes on the Lord Jesus. So I can tell he's going somewhere immediately. Verse 15. I know your works. I know your deeds. I know your records. I know your actions. I know you inside and out. Now, listen to me real close. He's writing to a church, which is a group of people. And it'd be like Jesus standing here right now, and he'd begin to look at us and say, "I, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know you inside and out. And some of us would say amen, and some of us would say oh me. And then he makes this incredible statement. He says that you are neither cold, frozen in apathy, or hot, just burning with passion. I could wish you were cold or hot. In other words, I wish you were one or the other. Meaning, I wish you were in or I wish you were out. Verse 16. So then because you are lukewarm. Uh Uh-oh. Could could that define me? I'm, I'm lukewarm? You know what lukewarm is? It's distasteful. I mean, when you want a cup of coffee, you want it hot. You want a McDonald's hot where it'll put a lawsuit on you. And when I want iced tea, I want it cold. I don't want it lukewarm. And so was the Lord Jesus saying, Because you're lukewarm, you're neither in or you're neither out. So better yet, you are straddling the fence. And so what that means, I'm a saint on Sunday, I'm a sinner on Monday. I act like the environment I'm around. I know how to talk in Christianese. Praise the Lord. Glory, brother. Hallelujah. And then I go to work on Monday and I give everybody that finger. See, was this some of the stuff the Lord Jesus was locating? Again, am I coming to church out of duty? Am I coming to church out of obligation? You're lukewarm. Neither cold nor hot. And I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now we've got to pause just a second. This was written to the church. This was written to church folk. So think about this in the natural. 
When you feel like vomiting, why are you doing that? Because there's something in your little tummy that your tummy is rejecting, that your tummy's saying, something's not right. I gotta get it out of my system. And some of us get so desperate to get us out of our system that we'll take that finger right there. But isn't it interesting that Jesus said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth because you're a nominal Christian. You're, you're, you're half-hearted. You want me at half price. You want me at clearance. You don't want to pay full price. You got to realize, guys, I've been reading this for a week. And so you know what it said to me? Wake up. Wake up. I've been at these altars, guys. I'm telling you, where's me out? I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. So now he goes into the problem, verse 17. Because you say, you brag, I am rich. I got money. I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. Now you talk about brash and arrogant. We're talking about church folk. That I, I've become so wealthy that it's brought me a confidence, that it's brought me I'm accepted, I'm satisfied, I don't need nothing. So why are you coming to church? What good are you? Why, why do you even show up? You don't need nothing. So off that, I had to ask myself this question. Why do we come to church? And I want to worship God. I want to love God. He goes on to say, and do, not, do you not know that spiritually you are wretched, you are miserable, you are oblivious, you are poor, you're, bank, you're bankrupt spiritually, you're blind, you can't see spiritually, and you're even naked. You don't have the garments of God on you. I prefer the appearance of man more than I do my appearance with God. Verse 18. But the Lord Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me. Jesus is saying, I, I want you to buy from me. What does he want us to get from him? Gold that is refined in fire. This is a faith that's refined in fire. A faith that doesn't waver. A faith that stands. But it's got to be refined in fire. Then he says to buy from me what's next. That you may be rich and white garments. It's the robe of righteousness. The only way I have a garment that is white is because the Lord Jesus, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. But the reason my garment is white is because it's been washed by the blood of the lamb. And he says, buy from me. Now, I, I don't know, maybe you're a lot like me, but the, these little communion cups they're giving us, I, I didn't realize that you had to have a PhD in communion to open those. <laughs> I hate those things. 
Well, I forgot today was communion. And I got real nervous. I looked, I thought, I got white britches on. That's not good. That's not good at all. But you know what I have in my desk drawer? I have a tide stain stick. And I know what happens if I get that on there, I put that in there. See, you have a stain stick called the blood of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what you've done in this life. That that blood covers everything. I don't care if it's the deepest grape juice stain, it comes out with Jesus. And this is what he's talking about. And you know what Jesus is saying? You may have money and you may have wealth, but you don't have this. Because the only way you get this is through me. Whew. Damn, Pastor, you're preaching good. That you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. That's part of the blood covenant. That you don't go through life with shame. And if I ask for shows of a hand, some of us may say, man, I've been shamed. I've been shamed. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you think, man, I hope people don't know all the stuff I've done. But Jesus washes me. He cleanses me. He takes care of all that. And if you're here today and you're walking with shame, just say, Lord Jesus, I welcome your blood to not only cleanse my sin, but cleanse me from that shame. See, the world can't take away your shame. Only Jesus can do that. Hmm. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. The eyes of my understanding be enlightened. Jesus is saying, I want to put an anointing on you where you begin to see the truth. You begin to see through the scriptures that you are who I say you are. And so he's wanting, remember, remember, the truth only sets us free. So he's wanting us to see the truth. Verse 19. And as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Now get that. He didn't say as many as I hate. He said as many as I love, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to discipline you. Now, let me ask you a question. How well do you receive his rebukes and his correction? I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. But he said to those I love, this is what I'm going to do. And this was written to a church and a bunch of church folk. So God is still in the business of correcting and rebuking. You know why? It's a wake up. You're off track. I got to get you back on track. See, just like if you're young in here right now. Can I give you some advice? And I'm not even going to charge you for this. Because if I charge you, it'd be a bunch of money. I'm not going to charge you. Listen to your mom and dad. You were going to charge me for that advice? Yeah. Listen to your mom and dad. Some of them got a lot of miles on their tires. That means they got some wisdom. Listen to your mom and dad. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. You're welcome. 
As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous, be eager, be full of zeal, and repent. He's writing to church folk. Repent. Get your heart back right. See, don't look at repentance as a punishment. It's a blessing, and you've heard me say this. It may be the greatest daily vitamin you can take every day. Father God, I repent. You say, Pastor, it's like a broken record. I say it over and over and over. Well, welcome to the NFL. You're going to keep doing it. You know why? Because you got this thing called flesh. And this flesh is a work in progress. You still have to repent, Pastor? Only on days that end in Y. Every day ends in Y, okay? That's a proverb. Verse 20. Now watch this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now listen real close. He's knocking at the door of your heart right now. But do you look out the peak hole in your door and you say, oh crap, it's Jesus. I'm not answering the door. He knocks, but you know what? When he knocks on the door of your heart, the only one that opened the door to him is you. And then he says, I, I talk, I talk, I talk. I'm wanting to talk. If anyone hears my voice and opens, you hear him, but you're not listening. And it's interesting that he says, I want to dine with you. You know what that literally means? He wants a fellowship with us. He, he wants us to sit and take time. What do you do with you dine with someone? Man, you may, may, make an appointment with you. You want to hang out. Now, here's the truth of the matter. If I said, any of you want to eat at Texas Roadhouse at 1230, it's on me. You all would be there. What time, Pastor? We would make an appointment. We'd do everything we could to be there. But yet this is what Jesus does. But many times when he makes an appointment with us, we're too busy to go. I, I'm busy. I got too many obligations. But you've never got a hold of this. When Jesus asks you to dine with him, you know what that means? He picks up the tab. He doesn't even ask you to leave the tip. He said, I got it. I got it. Why do I say that? He's paid for everything. He's paid for our forgiveness. He's paid for our salvation. He's paid for our healing. Everything like the communion elements shout out. His blood is broken. They speak. So you know what the greatest thing we can do? Not only receive it, but say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, there's something in this verse that I don't want to overlook. Something that's very important in here. Remember, this was written to a church and a body of believers. So Jesus is on the outside knocking to come in. 
they were having church without Jesus. And these were believers that were doing life without Jesus. Jesus is at the church and he's knocking and asking, can I please come in? And it was like the church and the people there were like, no, 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 we don't need nothing. We don't need you. Man, what would happen if we begin as the church to say, Lord Jesus, not only do we welcome you in, we, we need you. We got to have you here. We welcome your presence. Verse 21, to him who overcomes. There's a nugget in that statement right there you gotta get a hold of. To him who overcomes. The only way we overcome is Revelations 12, 10. We overcome by the blood of the lamb. To him who overcomes. You're gonna overcome by the blood, that's it. Lord Jesus, I welcome your blood in my life again today. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Now, now think about the wording there. He didn't say, I'm going to let you stand beside me at the throne. He actually said, I'm going to let you sit with me on the throne. You don't sit down until the job's complete. And when I start doing my life through the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus lets me sit. And you know why he lets us sit? Because the job's done. Everything's through him. And so when I go to Jesus, he gives me incredible rest. He gives me peace. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Come on, come on and sit with me. Hmm. I also ever overcame and I sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do I heed this today? Does this become a wake up in my heart? See, the thing is, none of us, none of us know what's going on in another person's heart right now. But I know what's going on in my heart. Have I resisted him? Have I stiff-armed him? Am I lukewarm? And I know that's not fun to admit, but am I lukewarm? Even though Jesus is knocking. See, something happens in my life when I take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we all get busy. And we have this list of inventory, which is nothing more but excuses that says, I'm too busy. I got too much going today, Lord Jesus. If you remember in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, there were two women, two women Mary and Martha. Martha was busy. She was distracted and busy. Maybe that highlights you right now. I'm too busy for Jesus. But the Lord Jesus said about Mary, she's, she's found the good part. She's found the one thing. And that one thing was she took time to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. In other words, she said, you know what? I'm going to dine with Jesus. I'm going to make dining with Jesus priority in my life. 
And it's like the Lord said, wake up. Why don't you stand up here with me? This is just the goodness of God. So I asked myself this own question. Have I shut God out of my life? Have I put God on hold? Do, do I look and say, you know what? I, I want the half price God. I, I want the on sale Jesus. I want the Jesus that's on the clearance rack. But remember, it's going to cost me something. You know what it's going to cost me? My heart. I give him my whole heart today. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head right there where you're at. And what's going on right now is the Holy Spirit, he takes the word of God and he breathes on it. And he causes the word of God to become alive and powerful. A revealer of the intents of my heart and my mind right now. And he's, 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 he's working on each one of us right now. That's him. That's his love toward us right now. And he may be knocking. He may be talking. I know he's inviting. So have I become lukewarm in my study? Have I become lukewarm in my worship? Have I become lukewarm in my time of prayer? Have I become lukewarm at church? You know what? I, I just go to church just to say when. What happened at church? I don't know. I just went. But what would happen today if we said, Lord Jesus, fill me with some zeal today. Fill me today with some passion. And so our team gets ready to play. And I, I welcome. I believe God's wanting to do something here within us. But we're just not going through the motion. There's something going to happen. Go ahead, guys. Sing. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.